Revelation chapter 20. Up to this point, it's been one chapter after another of God's judgment on the unbelieving because of their unbelief. In all of these judgments that we see God doing up through chapter 19 is due to the fact that these people have had ample opportunity to repent and have chosen not to. So not any of those people that go through this time frame in the future will be able to say, well, God wasn't fair. Oh, yes, he was fair. He's always fair. Not by human standard, but by his own standard. And even by human standard, God has given mankind opportunity after opportunity. You can't read the book of Romans and the very first part of the book where it talks about that God revealed himself through creation that man is without excuse. So we enjoy the goodness of God in our lives as believers, and we look forward to this day because we're going to be a part of this. We're going to be there to see it happen, and it's going to be a great event. Well, we're going to begin, first of all, by looking at the different views on the millennium. This chapter talks about the millennium, and there are many points of view so we're going to look at three of them in particular that seem to be predominant. The first one is the amillennial view, the amillennial view. And that view is there is no literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. It's just not, this doesn't exist. And when they read in the scripture about things concerning the millennium, it's considered as descriptive and symbolic terms. Oh, that's symbolism. That's, I know that's what it says, but that's not what it means. I don't have enough smarts in my head to figure out what's symbolism and what isn't. I take everything I possibly can in Scripture literally. Now, there are some things that absolutely are symbolic, and we understand that. But the amillennial says there is no millennium. The second point is the postmillennial, the postmillennial view. And that is that the thousand-year period is completed before Christ comes to the earth. So whether you realize it or not, folks, you're in the millennium. I don't like this millennium. <laughs> you know, I just don't like it. <laughs> but anyhow, that's the, the point of view. The, the millennium is a period of time for the final triumph of the gospel in this present age. The post-millennial view is that there, the gospel is going to suddenly have this uh, break out and people are going to come to Christ by, by the thousands. Third point is the thousand year period will be climaxed. It'll end, the millennium will end with the return of Christ to the earth. So he comes after the millennium, the post-millennial. Then there is the third one, the premillennial view. And that is that Christ will return to the earth preceding his millennial reign on the earth. This view holds that the millennium is a literal thousand-year period. Third, that Christ will rule supremely on David's throne for the thousand-year period known as the millennial reign. And this view is what we hold to as the biblically correct point of view. Now, please understand this. There are differing points of view here. Radically different, to be honest with you. To say there is no millennium, to there is a millennium, 
and the time frame when it will occur, they're, they're, they're different. But this is not cardinal doctrine. This is not something that we would separate over because another believer held to the amillennial or postmillennial point of view. We would just think in their mind, well, they're going to find out. And we, you know what? We're all going to find out. I believe that the premillennial view is the correct one. I think the scripture backs that up. But obviously, there are people who have found verses to back up their amillennial and their postmillennial view. And so this is something we agree to disagree on because it is not a cardinal doctrine. It doesn't determine whether a person goes to heaven or hell. And therefore, we leave it that way, but just so you understand, and this is all laid, I think, out in our Constitution that we hold to this point of view. Then we come to the Scripture, verses 1 through 6. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should receive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season." And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So in the first three verses we find the binding of Satan. In verse number one, there is an angel that we are told of operating under the authority of God. And he comes down from heaven, and in his hand, he has one, a key to the bottomless pit. The word bottomless in Greek is the word abyss. It literally means bottomless immeasurable depth. Now, there are some people who would say, well, it's just a deep hole in the ground. Maybe. Or it may have no bottom. And the answer to that many times from people is, well, how can it be that something would fall for a thousand years? Well, if God wants it to, it could fall for a billion years because he's God. I personally like to believe that there's no bottom. Can you imagine what it would be like falling for a thousand years? If you've ever had one of those dreams where you're up on a high mountain or on a building or something or a ladder and you fall off and the fall, suddenly you wake up and you're from your sleep. 
You've had those? Can you imagine what that would be like to endure for a thousand years? It's just incomprehensible. Now, this abyss, this bottomless pit, point B, is the permanent abode of the demons. Let's go back just for a moment to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, I reference this in two points here in the notes. Verse 26 through verse 35 talks about the man who was a Gadarian, and he was possessed of demons. He was so controlled by those demons that he had supernatural ability, so to speak. He had beyond human power. They had tried to capture him and tame him. They had bound him with chains. In verse 29, they caught him, bound him with chains and fetters, and he broke them and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep, into the abyss, the abode of demons. And just speculating here, but it seems to indicate that had the Lord cast these demons into the abyss, that's where they would have stayed. They would have not come out. So we see this is mentioned in another place in the Scripture. So go back over to Revelation chapter 20. So the angel has in his hand this key to the bottomless pit. And secondly, he has a great chain in his hand. Now, we just read about a man-made chain, and I'm sure the people that brought that chain to chain up the gathering maniac made sure it was the strongest chain they could find. And probably they felt was very adequate for the job, but it wasn't. So you're going to have to have quite a chain. Notice what it says in the verse, verse 1, the last part. And a great chain in his hand. This is a chain that is created by God. And it's for a special purpose. And that chain is great in the fact that when Satan is bound with it, he will not get out of it for a thousand years. And then the only way he'll get out of it then is because God releases it. So there is an interesting point of view here. That this angel comes. Can you imagine how heavy that chain has to be? Not really. It doesn't have to be heavy. It could be light as a feather. Because God has created that chain. We think chain and the, the, the bigger it is and the thicker the loops, the more capable of holding a great amount of weight back. But God could create a, a feather chain. But because he created it, Satan is not going to break it. So God doesn't have to create a chain like we would think. So this angel comes with this great chain and we find that he, in verse 2, that he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. There we find his different names. 
the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan to make clear who is being talked about. And we find this angel grabs Satan and shackles him in this chain for a thousand years. This angel has amazing power because we find in the New Testament in a passage where one of the angels, when battling with the devil, said the Lord rebuke you and would not do battle with him because of the supreme power of Satan. Satan is a strong being. He is very powerful. It's not that he is limitless or He's, he's amazing in the, the capabilities that he has. He's not all powerful, but he is strong. He is powerful. He can outlast any of us and all of us put together. And this angel will come and bind him because God has planned it to be so and nothing's going to change it and bind him for this thousand years. And then we find in verse 2 that he throws him into the bottomless pit and shuts up the cover and sets a seal on that pit so that Satan cannot get out and no one can open the lid. In verse 3, he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So the angel throws him in the pit he can no longer have any impact on people or environment or the world for that thousand-year period. And then as a footnote, after the thousand years, Satan has to be released for a brief time, and we'll learn more about that later. So this is going to be an amazing event. I'm looking forward to this day. This is going to be a great day when suddenly the evil influence that has been moving and motivating this earth for thousands of years from the time of creation till the present is now gone. Gone. Now his impact is still here. And his influence, not him, but his influence, that which he started will still be here. But he himself will be eliminated for that thousand year period. In verse 4, there's a change from Satan being cast into the pit to seeing thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given unto them. And then he describes many of these people. So we see the resurrection rule of the tribulation saints in verse 4. There are thrones and they sit on those thrones this is Christ and the church, which is his bride. This is his people that are sitting on these thrones. I have references there. You can look them up later. The resurrected tribulation saints that are described in verse number four, in the last part of verse, are those who were martyred for their witness for Christ in the tribulation period. And those who refused to take the mark of the beast in the tribulation period. So we see that description of those people. And then he comes to verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So there's two different groups. You have in verse 5, those that are dead, and they remain dead. 
But those of verse 4, it indicates that in the last part of verse, or last part of verse 5, that these are part of a resurrected group of believers. And so he says, this is the first resurrection. Now we come to verse 5 and 6, and we are looking at this concept of the first resurrection. We have to understand how the resurrection unfolds. The first resurrection is illustrated as a harvest. As a harvest. Not here, but in through Scripture as you look at it. The first fruits is Christ. He was the first one raised from the dead in this grace period, the age of grace. Then we are going to have the main harvest. And that will come when the New Testament church, the bride of Christ, is raptured out, which we're hoping comes any day now. That's what we're waiting on, to be part of this main harvest. And then you have, last of all, the gleanings. That's the tribulation saints. But all of these together are part of the first resurrection. And they are made up only of saved people. The dead, it says, did not rise until after the thousand years were finished. These are people that are spiritually dead and physically dead because they have rejected Christ. But those who are risen and sit on the thrones with Christ and reign with him are those who are part of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he, verse 6, that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So these people and those who reign with Christ are part of the first resurrection and the second death will have no power on them. And again, we're going to learn more about this second death a little later in the chapter. But one thing we see is those who are risen with Christ are victorious. They don't ever have to worry about dying. They don't ever have to worry about being destroyed by God because Christ has paid the price. He has set them free. He has delivered them. And there is no need for worrying about the future because God has the future and he has us well taken care of in the future. He's made ample provision for all of his children to be around him and with him in the end. And so as we precede this millennial reign, we come to this fifth promise or this fifth revelation beatitude in verse 6, blessed and holy. So those that are part of this beatitude receiving it, they are blessed and holy. And on them, the second death has no power. And they are declared priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Christ during the millennium. It's a little hard to read this passage of Scripture right here 
and believe that there is no millennium and believe that there's a millennium that comes before Christ returns to the earth. But anyhow, we look forward to that great day. I, I just find a, a breath of fresh air as we begin this 20th chapter. Now, it's not going to stay pretty because there are things that have to be addressed in the rest of the chapter. And it's sad that they have to be. And unfortunately, the major part of the human race will be found in the second part of this chapter. Blessed are those who have part in the first resurrection. We are blessed. Don't ever forget that. No matter what you're dealing with or what comes your way, we are blessed because God has chosen to save us and give us an eternal hope. And thank God he has. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that we can read about these events and know, God, that we'll not be part of this great judgment, nor will we be part of this standing before you eternally in wrath. But we will be reigning with you and enjoying your presence and enjoying this earth, living on it during this thousand-year reign where you will rule supreme. We look forward to that time with great anticipation. We look forward to your coming to take us home. But as we wait and as we look, may we be faithful. Guide us through this week. Give us strength to do what's right. May we give you the glory for everything and thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.